Welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm concept developer Dr. Kelly Jones. We've structured How Story Works conversations to include instructional, fix it, interview, and FAQ episodes. Today's episode is a fix it where we watch a movie, discuss it, and use narrative theory to fix it. Today, we're going to use narrative theory to fix a flawed story. And we are doing the 2005 romantic comedy Hitch. Story is power, and we don't leave power on the table. So let's get to work. All right, Dr. Kelly Jones, here we are with the movie Hitch. And before I get started and all the production information and everything, I just would like to know, you know, if you can possibly summarize how you feel about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Do not like. Unsubscribe. Burn it to the ground. Stop the earth and start over. Hate this movie. So very much. It's bad. It's a bad. It's a flawed. It's a it's a yes. seriously flawed film, but it's going to be interesting to talk about the ways in which we can fix it. But first, we're going to start with the production information. Hitch was released on February 11th, 2005, just in time for that sweet, sweet Valentine's Day traffic. Hitch was written by Kevin Bish, who has not written another movie since. I don't know why that is, but, you know, it happens. Uh, this movie was directed by Andy Tennant, who directed a handful of romantic comedies, including Sweet Home Alabama and Fools Rush In. And here is the short synopsis that I stole off of Google and doesn't really have a source to credit so just google uh dating coach alex hitch hitchens mentors a bumbling client albert who hopes to win the heart of the glamorous allegra cole while albert makes progress hitch faces his own romantic setbacks when proven techniques fail to work on sarah milas a tabloid reporter digging for dirt on allegra cole's love life when sarah discovers hitchens connection to albert now allegra's boyfriend it threatens to destroy both relationships so um so we have this romantic comedy that is based in, um, you know, we're going to talk about conflict, we're going to talk about character. But before we get started really diving into how to fix something, I want to talk to you guys about how you approach fixing things with narrative theory. When you are fixing something, the most important thing is preserving what a story intended to do and what it did well. So you start with the positives and you guard the positives. Anything that you do to fix a story should not interfere with those positives positives. Uh, Also, fixing narrative theory is not a paint by numbers process. You don't just run through the rules of narrative theory and apply them. You utilize narrative theory to fix what's broken while preserving what works. And sometimes things that violate the quote unquote rules of narrative theory are not necessarily a problem. When fixing, go by the old saw. If it ain't broke, Don't fix it. So this is one of the things that can sometimes be most difficult for people to remember when they're utilizing narrative theory in their own stories or when they're analyzing, you know, movies or whatever, um, that we're not looking to make sure that everything that this movie does absolutely aligns to everything in narrative theory. Narrative theory is where you go to patch it. Narrative theory is when something is broken, you look at narrative theory to figure out how it's broken, and then you use narrative theory to find a way to resolve that brokenness. But if something ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't mess with it. You know, if it's working for whatever reason. Now, one of the interesting things is that when something works, but it doesn't align with narrative theory, asking yourself that question, like, why 
does this, how did they make that work? You know, um, mm-hmm. you'll find that, that there's something in the principles of narrative theory that it is actually managing to do. It's just not doing it in the like traditional way. It finds another way, right? Um, and that is completely fine. So uh, what's important is not to uh, look at narrative theory as the, the end all be all of all storytelling decisions. This is as much like uh, more an art than a science, you know? So you can apply these principles to fix it, um, but it, you just don't want to get too, too carried away with that. Um, now, yeah. first of all, what we're doing is we're working with a romantic comedy, right? And romantic comedies are like my favorite, my go-to genre. Um, but Dr. Jones, I believe that that's not quite the case for you. No, it's <laughs> not. It's funny. Probably my least go-to genre is comedy. And then right above that would be romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really like them. Um, I don't care about most of the romance storylines. Like mm-hmm. I believe in attraction at first sight, but not love at first sight. Mm-hmm. I hate cheesy meat cutes. I hate grand gestures. Uh-huh. Um, and it's hard for me to buy into like a relationship without adequate time, you know, yeah. in terms of how long these people have known each other and what they've been through together. Um, so it was really funny for me that I'm like, great, we're going to fix it with a genre that I rarely watch. Um, and I had seen <laughs> Hitch years and uh-huh. years and years ago. Mm-hmm. I did not remember disliking it so much uh, yeah. as when I rewatched it. And, and then I just needed to set it on fire. But <laughs> some movies that are described as romantic comedies, I do like. So mm-hmm. uh, Better Than Chocolate is is a dear, sweet romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very gay. It's very, very charming. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love About Time. I would argue that it's not a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I love music and lyrics for the songs. Oh, I don't yes. care mm-hmm. about the couple. I don't care. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I love Secretary as a dark comedy. I love Yesterday for the music. Don't really mm-hmm. care so much about right. the others. You know, I love When Harry Met Sally because it's the most quotable movie ever written. Yes. Um, you know, Waitress is a dark comedy. Um, and I love Shakespeare in Love, although almost everyone in my life hates that movie. I still haven't <laughs> quite figured out why I love that movie oh, so much. Oh, we should watch it. I haven't watched but it I in do. ages. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I love that movie so, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but but none of them are the traditional romantic comedy set up, which I just don't like. So it was really interesting and a lot more valuable than I anticipated to put on like a narrative theory fix it lens Mm -hmm. on top of a story I don't care for. Right. Um, I think it let me be more objective in really thinking about why isn't this working? Not why don't I like it? Right. Because mm-hmm. you can appreciate something that's well done, even if it's not to your taste. Right. Um, so that was really interesting. But you love romantic comedy. So I what are do. your favorites? I do. Uh, well, my favorite romantic comedy of all time is French Kiss. I think that it is one of mm-hmm. the best written romantic comedies. And it's because it actually does develop the relationship between the the couple um, and, and develops that rather than the traditional I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together that we see so often, especially in movies. Um, 
it's 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 actually really really well done and developed uh when harry met sally i think you have the same thing you have a relationship that is developing over such a long period of time um one of the movies that you had in your you have a whole big list you mentioned a couple of but one of the (laughs) movies that you have here in the script that you didn't mention is where the heart is and where the heart is is a great has a great romance but the romance is also secondary uh storyline and it has a long time to develop um so yeah i think that you're absolutely right like the things that you actually hate about romantic comedy I kind of hate too. I love love mm-hmm. stories and I think I'm always looking for the love story. Um, but love stories done well um, are very complicated and they're more than, uh, you know, a clumsy heroine, a snarky hero. You know, we go to a lot of these really bad tropes in romantic comedy without getting to the heart of what makes a relationship work, what makes a love story work and how you how you do that. So um, for me, I, I really enjoy romantic comedies. But while you're saying that, I realize that I do hate all of the same things that you hate. Like, I, you know, they're they're incredible. <laughs> incredibly contrived the grand gesture drives me crazy but I just have this and I always have I've just always loved a love story now the love stories that I I love the most are not always necessarily romantic love stories one of my favorite love stories is uh, Paula and Rebecca on crazy ex-girlfriend um, I think mm-hmm. that's a fantastic love story um, I like Sherlock and Watson I think that that's a wonderful love yes. story um, oh god good omens Aziraphale and Crowley Oh, oh my Sarah god. And, right. and they're even following the socially distancing rules during the I apocalypse know. because they are the best I angel. I know. Women. That video has been making the rounds and it's been <laughs> so just great. adorable. Um but yeah, like and but although Crowley and Zerfell I would say do have a um a romantic sexual element to their story, so that's, you know, that's not a non-romantic love story. Um but it is a love story and it does uh, essentially anchor itself in friendship and I think that those are the Mm -hmm. best ones Um, but because I've always been into romance because I've always been into love stories for me I've always gravitated toward romantic comedy and as we're talking about it I realize that I gravitate toward it I watch all of them but I'm almost always a little bit disappointed I'm almost Mm -hmm. always a little bit disappointed because it doesn't build the love story that would be there between these two, whether they were going to sleep with each other or not, you know, whether they were like romantically involved or not, Um, because you want to have a love story that really has to do with why these two are really, really super good together. Um, Mm -hmm. So looking at romantic comedies, all of the things that because one of the things that I really hate about romantic comedies is we always have this like gorgeous heroine, right? Who's always perfect in every way, except she stumbles sometimes like she's clumsy. Clumsy, Um, We really, really love to do humiliation humor. Um, and a lot of these uh, two weeks notice is actually a fairly good Ugh. romantic comedy, really yep. good romantic comedy. But they have two scenes in there in which they humiliate Sandra Bullock. And I hate that. Um, uh, While You Were Sleeping is another one. I really like that one. And that, again, develops mm-hmm. that relationship between these two. Um, so working in the comedy into these romantic situations, I think a lot of times the comedy just sort of falls flat. It's just not funny. It's not yeah, funny. It's, it's not, not funny. It's just I, you not. Know, 
Bridesmaids is a movie that lots of people love, but watching a bunch of women have diarrhea in the middle of the street is not funny to me. Like, I don't like mm-hmm. that humiliation stuff. Um, and we find that happening a lot, that these kinds of, of, of ridiculous situations, um, putting our characters in these ridiculous, humiliating circumstances uh, are somehow supposed to be funny. Um, and that is often not. Um, so for me... I find I, I enjoy humor a lot more when it is um, when it's intellectually based, when it's about the the ways in which people say things, um, you know, a big fan, obviously, clearly anybody who's at all familiar with my work knows how much I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it is genuinely funny. It is laugh out oh, loud yeah. funny sometimes. Um, but it's also mixed in with that drama. And I think what I really love is, I mean, first of all, it's mixed in with that drama. Second of all, it's funny because of situation, because of knowing these characters, because of the way in which they say things the ways they use language that makes it really funny and really delightful those are the kinds of things that i want to see in romantic comedies and which we typically do not get um so okay let's go ahead and start out now that we have have taken a shot at the genre itself (laughs) i do believe i believe in romantic comedy as a genre I, I, I feel like we have not done it well up to this point, um, but mm-hmm. I believe in it as a genre and I believe that it can be done really, really well. But I think that you have to mix in that emotion. You have to mix in some of that drama and mix it in nicely with comedy that is built on character and built on respect for the characters that we have now. As we talk about what Hitch did well, that's not a point we're going to hit on. Uh, We'll get to that in a little (laughs) bit. Um, So what do you think? I mean, I know you hate, hate, hate this movie. Is there anything that you saw that Hitch did well that you would want to preserve? I think the actors did a good job with what they have to work with. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would say that. Um, I I I like the theme of coaching and helping people build their confidence. But I still think the way it was done and the reasons it was done need to be burned to the earth and started over. Yes. So there's very, very little that I would keep from this. What about you? Do you see more there um, of what they what they set out to do and what they did well? Well, okay. What they set out to do, right, is two things. Set up a relationship that has a happily ever after, right, which is what romance is, right? And then be Mm -hmm. funny, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So knowing that that's what they set out to do, those are the things that we're going to want to preserve. Did I ever laugh once in this movie? No. Um, So it would have to be the, the humor would have to be pulled from elsewhere from a different space from um, from something again more character generated um, I think that the premise I do like the premise that that Hitch is a date doctor whose own relationships are an absolute mess um, mm-hmm. I kind of like the dual romance idea I like that we have Hitch and Sarah on one side and the and then Albert and Allegra on the other side and Albert and Allegra you know the the guy that was supposed to be completely hopeless is actually the one who's pulling off a decent romance um, and and I think that having those romances sort of reflect on each other can be really nice, although they failed, I think, to meet the potential of that, which is that in the end, it's Albert who helps Hitch, that it's Albert's right. openness, that it's Albert's um, the way that Albert handles his relationship. Like it may be that Hitch can get you the date you know, can get you Mm -hmm. in the door. But once he's in the door, he's an absolute mess. Whereas Albert, because he, and again, okay, this is, I'm already starting to fix it because I'm saying things that are not true in the movie. But like, you know, if you had Albert who uh, respected and genuinely connected with Allegra, you know, if Mm -hmm. you had him reflecting on Hitch 
you know, who was maybe pursuing a woman who is is typical for the kind of woman that he pursues, who's who's not going to have that relationship with him. Then at the end, you know, if he learns something, ends that relationship and then maybe meets somebody and we see the beginnings of him actually being able to connect with another human being, then possibly again, I'm getting into fix it territory here. We're supposed to be talking about what we like. I like the premise. Yeah. I think the premise is neat. Um, and the duality of these reflective romances can can be nice foils for each other. So I think that that was that was good um all right uh what else was good i like the diversity in the casting i thought that Mm -hmm. you know i really appreciated the fact that we had some diversity in the casting although i don't think that we had any sense of diversity in the way that these characters were written um and so there was there felt it felt like an absence of that an acknowledgement it was very colorblind casting which is you know honestly better than all white you know, I yeah. mean, definitely better than that. But it would have been nice. I mean, it was a white man who wrote the the script. I think it would have been nice to have had some. But again, this is, you know, 15 years ago. And we as long as we're moving in the right direction, I don't I don't want to, you know, beat people up for decisions that they did or did not make at a time when that's all in the past. But how we move forward from that, I think we're, we're moving forward from that in a nicer way. Um, I also love a transformation story. Honestly, like my fair lady, I love uh, never been kissed. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's those movies where uh, where somebody starts out, you know, kind of um, as as one person then transforms externally into something else. And then that helps them transform internally. So I like See, that. I love transformation stories, but I want the montage. So like, yeah. I love the Devil Wears Prada and we get that amazing, yeah. you know, yep. fashion montage. I love Legally Blonde and we get that study montage but like we didn't get one of those here i'm like damn it if we're gonna have a transformation right. story i you want have that. to see the you want to see the process of the transformation yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah i did like um some of the like you were talking about of hitch and albert being foils for each other yeah. so like you know hitch can get you a date quote unquote right, right. so that's Hitch can get you a beginning. And his friend says, you know, he's like, you know what your problem is, Hitch, you're all about the short game. Right. Um, And I mean, also, Alex Hitchin is a great name. Right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. you have, you know, how Hitch sees himself when he's like, I'm Michelangelo, you're the 16th chapel, let's go paint that ceiling. Mm -hmm. But then Albert is the one who kind of I mean, Albert, I think, is some kind of investment banker. So yeah. mm-hmm. he's he's long term. Like mm-hmm. he's about the long game, which yes. is kind of they don't actually which is point the nice that thing out about his job, though. He's about investment. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think they could have maybe done something with that. Mm-hmm. But Albert is the one, you know, when Hitch says love is my life, Albert says, no, love is your job. Right. Like he's doing a good job reflecting mm-hmm. some truth back. Um but that, I mean, and I always love Will Smith. And yeah. I like coaching as a way of working. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Hitch does give some good advice yes. in this. Mm-hmm. Like, he does a lot of things that are terrible, but he does do some mm-hmm. good advice. And mm-hmm. he does give some good advice. And I appreciate that Albert wants Allegra to be happy, even if that doesn't mean being with him. Yes. That, like, mm-hmm. he actually cares genuine about love. her. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. As a person. Right. Um, 
But that's all the generosity in my heart. <laughs> that's all I got. That's all as right. nice as I can be. All right. Well, let's <laughs> let's move forward to um, to what what's broken in this. And I think um, it's kind of most of it. But I guess we need to be like specific about all of the things that are broken in this. <laughs> um, and since you have uh, copious notes about all the things that are broken, I'm gonna let you oh start with this and just run with it. I feel really bad that I'm like, I'm going to take this work and tear it to tiny, Don't tiny pieces. Don't feel bad. But, we learn through you know, this process. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it is a valuable process to uh-huh. walk I through so. yeah. to make you aware of, you know, right. some of the, I mean, critical analysis is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of patriarchal bullshit in this movie. Yeah. So if we just say that's a problem. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and set it aside. I think the major things that are broken are a lack of real vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And a lack of real love and dignity, because yes. this is a humiliation humor. We're laughing at the characters all right. the way through. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. Yeah. Um, I don't like the date doctor premise because mm-hmm. I am an intellectual snob <laughs> and I am an academic snob on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't like someone claiming expertise that they have not earned. Mm-hmm. So like because you asked a girl out on a date doing these manipulative things and it worked for you does not make you a coach. It does not right. make you a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed to me that Hitch kind of like observed stereotypical ways to get stereotypical women to fall in love with his stereotypical male clients mm-hmm. by like writing this stereotypical rule book, this playbook. And yeah. it's insulting and it's toxic and it's manipulative. And it's belittling to the very nature of love. Like the things that Albert does intuitively mm-hmm. that Allegra actually responds to right. are the things that Hitch criticizes him for because right. they're not following some formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a- I actually like that. I actually mm-hmm. really like that because it gives Hitch a place to arc from. Right. What I what I think is the objection is that the text of the movie rubber stamps this as being okay. If we use that as Hitch's starting point, he's the guy who gets you in. He's the guy who will manipulate and lie. But that's not something that you can base a long term relationship. on, Right. Right. So if you see him, he gets the people in. He gets the people in. He gets the people in. And then if at some point in the middle, Albert's like, okay, so what happens after they get in? And Hitch goes back like a midpoint for Hitch would be to go back and follow up with all of his clients and find out that every single one of them broke up immediately that like they never because they were based in that false start and in that in that manipulation. That's something I would have liked to have seen the movie acknowledge. And if he realizes that his entire life's work, that everything he's been doing has actually been harming people and cares about that, that's a huge midpoint reversal for him. So I actually yeah. like that as a premise in the beginning. I would I would keep that. I would just not rubber stamp it as this is cute and okay. I like that a lot. Like mm-hmm. we see him. He So he's coaching this guy. To yeah. get this woman's attention. And he's like, oh, I know. Here's a great idea. Go steal her dog. Go steal her and, dog. And then pretend like the dog was about to get hit by a car and right. you saved the dog. Right. Like, and at the end, we the have that couple getting out, married. Uh-huh, yeah, I don't think so. They're getting married. I'm like, when she finds out he stole her dog. That he lied. She's going to hate his guts. Like, exactly. That is, oh, my yeah. God. So, yeah, I, you're right. That would have been really great if mm-hmm. Hitch actually had to face 
had to the face the destructiveness of, of what he's been doing, you know, yes. at a certain point, if that was something he had to deal with. Um, I actually really, really would have liked that. All right. So keep going. I would have too. keep going okay. with all the stuff you hate. So, hate, hate. <laughs> all right. Well, I kind of like Albert as a person. Yes. Um, but there's potential to do so much more with him than humiliation humor. Yes. Right. He's a big guy. Oh, ha ha ha. Funny, funny, funny. But he actually goes beyond like the bullshit of chubby jokes because he's a big person like he dances big he has a big temper he Mm -hmm. has a big heart he feels big feelings there's depth to him but we don't get much of it and also why does he love allegra like she's pretty she's smart she's sweet she seems great i'd ask her out for coffee but what does he actually know about her like he doesn't why is he in love with her he doesn't and that's the bad thing like she ends up at the end we sort of get um informed as opposed to seen in her that she's a big dork right you know so she actually likes and respects the ways in which albert is dorky but we actually don't see that in the character very much she has this thing like she knew he knew i was a bad dancer and so he danced badly to make me feel better blah 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 and i'm like in that scene in no way was she being a really super goofy dancer did we see her behave in that way where he and deliberately understood that he was doing he was making her more comfortable he was just being himself you know right um yeah so that's kind of tough i actually i like albert a lot in the moments where we see him exuding confidence. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as he's confident with her, like when he's at the party and he's being really cool when the, when they're talking to the assholes and he's like, yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. It's good yeah. stuff. And I like that, especially because Kevin James is not your traditional, you know, like hunky romantic comedy star. And I think it's nice not just having diversity when it comes to race, but having diversity when it comes to the types of people that are quote unquote worthy of love, which in Hollywood is always the beautiful people. And then we make fun of the people who are not traditionally he's not as tall he's not as thin he's not as jacked right so we look at him and we think oh you know Mm -hmm. not worthy of love right and that's the that's the message that gets through to everybody who is like albert or sees themselves as the Mm -hmm. albert you know um that's the implicit message that gets through i love having some diversity in the way that our our people look it would have been nice to have had some diversity in the way allegra looks You know, Allegra is a classically beautiful woman. And so what this tells us is that, no, it's okay for men to not be physically perfect. But women, in order to be worthy of love, must be physically perfect. You know, must be. And I don't even want to say perfect. Must be, must fit physically into this little sliver of attributes that we will allow to be defined as beautiful. And those are the people who are mm-hmm. worthy of love. Um, yeah. And that, you know, like the way this movie treats women is not great. No, it's not. Um, but you're right. I mean, Kevin James is adorable. Mm-hmm. And when he is not just confident, but also authentic. Yes. It is very sexy. Like someone who's walked away at your front door and then turns around and is like, no, I'm not giving up this moment and throws away an inhaler to come kiss you. Dude, I'm sorry. That's hot. Yeah, it is. And like the way he dances with her, the way he he kind of blocks Mm -hmm. all that negativity with the people that she's talking to, like those things are great. We just don't see enough of her to know who she is as a person other than rich and beautiful and sweet. Which is all we need, and, right? That's all that a right? woman needs to be, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, like, and and she needs as much confidence coaching as Albert does, yeah. but we don't know why. 
Right. Why is she so timid? Has her family diminished her confidence? Does she struggle with being rich? Mm -hmm. Does she feel like no one's ever going to love her except for her money? Like, we don't get we don't get her story at all. Um, And and that's that's bad. But the and I feel terrible for saying this. The thing I hate most about this movie is Sarah. Oh, no, she's terrible. Cannot stand her. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no vulnerability. There's no weakness. Her sister almost died on a frozen pond when she was eight, and now she can't love. And I don't see the I connection. It makes even. no sense. Yeah. Um, she's a gossip columnist. And I guess maybe I have very little sympathy for her because she makes a living and enjoys invading people's privacy. And we yeah. never see her struggle with that. No. We don't see conflict around that. Um but she's a journalist. She should care about the truth. And yeah. yet she jumps to more conclusions than like an Olympic runner. Right. Yeah. And we do see her like when Hitch has that horrible Benadryl allergic reaction thing. Mm-hmm. She is kind to him. Yeah. But she uses that vulnerability to get story details yeah. out of him when he is not at mm-hmm. full cognitive functioning. Like right. that's taking advantage of someone who's drunk, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And. I she's just like no she's awful. a terrible terrible person yeah I 100% so. co-signed she's a flat character but again she's beautiful and that's all that matters right. with women like as long as she's yeah. beautiful like the she can do all of these terrible things and we will still see her as worthy of love as long as she's beautiful and that's one yeah. of the things that like I just I honestly have so little patience for um no, I hate it so yeah and and the humiliation humor the way that they consistently and repeatedly humiliate kevin james for it's not funny it's just Mm -mm. not and and after a while uh you know it makes me like actively angry i'm like he deserves better than this albert's a better character than that yeah and the behavior is so ridiculous mm-hmm. like i'm sorry who actually gets into a food fight in someone's kitchen as a grown adult oh like, my throwing god stuff at each yeah, other. With sarah and hitch this, yeah that's ridiculous you know, hitch's big gestures like he sends sarah walkie talkie mm-hmm. at work so all of her colleagues can overhear this personal conversation yeah he takes her on that huge invasive first date where he is oh tracking on her god, family roots no there's like that is creepy. That is, is not creepy. Charming. It is creepy. You know? you know, and then we have him the, like the, the we have a humiliation moments with Hitch too, like the Benadryl thing, right? Where he had the yeah. allergic reaction to shellfish, which seems to me like something that a man in his 30s would have figured out by now. Probably um, would know that he had an allergic reaction to mm-hmm. that. I mean, and it wasn't even like he's like, was there shellfish in that? Like he knew what it was when he was eating it. So that right. was, and then we have the moment where he kicks her in the head while they're on the jet ski date. She kicks him. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't she kick him? Oh, he kicks no, her. No, he kicks her in the head and kicks he her kicks off the her. thing. That's right. right. He yeah. kicks her in the head. Oh, my God. So he God. kicks her in the head, was, knocks her off the ridiculous. thing. ridiculous. The whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. And and that, that trip to Ellis Island, the trip to Ellis Island is kind of cool. Uh, but somebody you don't know, um, buying them a wetsuit that they have to change into, um, deciding that they're going to go on these jet skis. What if she has a fear of water? I mean, she has a fear of love because her sister almost drowned, but she's fine with water. <laughs> In which water? case, I think maybe water's not a problem. Water's fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. Water. Not everybody Mm -hmm. knows how to swim like just these. But I'm like manipulation is not Mm -hmm. romance. Right. And and humiliation is not funny. And so like that. Those are the biggest things that would have to to get fixed. Yeah. Um, So I would like to see a real conflict 
without manipulation. Yeah. Conflict that can't be solved by a lack of communication. Like if they sit down and have a conversation, Hitch, did you coach this asshole who dated my friend and slept with her and made her feel bad? And coach Hitch says, no, I don't work with clients like that. I mm-hmm. told him I would not work with him. Conflict solved. You know, well, the whole and- thing, the whole conflict is ridiculous. She's mad at him for you know, being a date doctor, but she's a gossip columnist. Like, I don't, right? I'm don't. i not sure that ethically she really has a, a ground to stand on. And like what he did, you know, she's like, well, you know, this guy went and saw, but she also like he didn't coach that guy. Like if she had mm-hmm. just again, had, had she's a journalist, if she had figured out the facts, if she had looked into it, if she'd gotten some information, you know, but this whole idea about Albert and Allegra being front page news, they're not the royal couple. Nobody cares right? about some rich lady. Like if she was Beyonce, like maybe, you know, but she's not. <laughs> she's like an heiress or something. It might get some attention on like some website somewhere or like in the back of one of those, you know, tabloid rags. Mm-hmm. But um, but all of this, this whole conflict with them, why she's so mad at him, um, all of it, like it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then so it's all like false conflict. It's all built on absolutely nothing. Um, and that's the kind of conflict that you cannot sustain. Because as you're looking at it, you're like, why is she so mad at him? Because he's a date doctor? Like, it wasn't even just like, first of all, he didn't coach the asshole who, you know, assaulted her friend. Um, second of all, um, being a date doctor? Coaching people through relationships, uh, that's not a bad thing. Uh, Now, Mm -hmm. the way that he does it, yeah, is kind of gross, but it's also not the kind of thing that, and like he has to be so quiet about it, and then like he's being made famous. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to care about, nobody's going to care about that. Right. Like, why do you have to keep that a secret? Now, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like, I think... If you if you're good at coaching people, which Hitch is mm-hmm. now, his framework is broken. Right. Um, the the value system that he's mm-hmm. working with is broken. But he right. is a good coach, and he seems to genuinely want to help people mm-hmm. tap into their confidence. If he could do that without the mani- the manipulative bullshit, then that would be great. Right. But I think it it's one more level of toxicity in this movie that almost says if you need any kind of emotional support, you have mm-hmm. to keep that a secret. Right. There's nothing wrong with specializing in different kind of coaching like that. It could actually be a great thing. Right. Um, And of course, you want to keep your client less confidential. But but being like outed as a coach. I don't who cares understand who like, cares that he's how a, date is that a bad thing right yeah. yeah it's it's all it's all so incredibly incredibly flimsy so um, all right so turning to narrative theory to try to figure out how we can mm. fix this hot mess of a movie. Um, We'll start with the central narrative conflict, right? Okay, so we've got a central narrative conflict. And for everybody who has been listening to this, central narrative conflict is protagonist goal versus antagonist goal. And they must be mutually exclusive, right? Um, So what conflict we have actually existing in the movie is pretty weak. Um, We have uh, like two parallel storylines, kind of. We have Albert's storyline and then we have Hitch's storyline. So you can kind of look at those as parallel stories where we've got a central narrative conflict for each of these, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. So you, you have Hitch versus Hitch and then Albert versus Albert, but they're both incredibly weak. Like Hitch versus Hitch, we have, he's a love facilitator, um, 
date doctor is not really accurate. I mean, he gets the men dates, you know, but only with women that they love. Right. So he sees himself as like, you know, it, it, they have to love these women to be able to get in with him to get the dates. Yeah. So I think he's really they have way. to be infatuated with those women. Well, right. Because they're not in love with this woman because they don't know those women. They right? don't know them. Right, right. Right. So he gets them that first connection and then they're on their own. Right. Um, so he wants Sarah, but he doesn't want to fall in love. And that I think is at the core of his um, of his, you know, I guess, quote unquote, central narrative conflict. It's sort of an internal conflict, but it's so unbelievably weak. I mean, there's a nice irony to it that here I facilitate love for other people, but I can't have it for myself. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about goals you have to remember is ASPA, right? They need to be active, specific, personal and achievable, right? So wanting Sarah is active, like he does pursue her. It is specific. It is Sarah, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's personal in the fact that like, you know, it's dating, but he doesn't seem terribly invested in it personally um and it's achievable sure it's achievable that he could get sarah um but also protagonist has to like desperately want the thing that they're chasing it has to be like it may not be literal life or death but it should feel like life or death you know um he does not want to fall into in love himself you know that's fine for his clients whatever so it's a negative goal first of all and that he like the part of him the other part of him doesn't want to fall in love right you know he wants Mm -hmm. to date sarah but he shows no interest in being in love he shows no wistfulness for what his clients have that he does not we see nothing in him that shows that he actually wants to be in love he just meets her she's cute and he tries his shit on her right you know um he doesn't express that he wants to fall in love he just can't because his college girlfriend dumped him in college um no one breakup one bad breakup and oh, that's not even a bad breakup. That's a typical college breakup. That is right? not. I mean, this isn't you gave your love to somebody and she stole all your money and your dog. This is, you know, I mean, this is weak <laughs> ass shit. Um, yeah. You know, and and when he's somebody who does not want to fall in love. Right. First of all, we have him. We see this history that he had got, you know, broken up with by this girl or cheated on or whatever. And however long he did like what it's stupid. It's unbelievably stupid. It's incredibly weak. Um, but that he had this this experience. And so he doesn't believe in love anymore. And it has been I don't know. What has it been? 15 years since that happened for been him? a while. So, you know, yeah. what your goal should be, dude, is therapy. Like if you are yes. still as a mid 30s man whining about the girl who dumped you in college, then you got some shit you got to work out. You know, you are not working through your stuff. So it's all just incredibly weak. So the the central narrative conflict that we have as an internal with Hitch is is pretty weak. Um, We're a little bit stronger ground with Albert versus Albert. Like he wants Allegra, but he also wants to stay in um, in his comfort zone, within his comfort zone, right? And he has to stretch outside of his comfort zone in order to get Allegra. So is that mutually exclusive? I mean, sure. Uh, But the central Mm -hmm. conflict is out the window. The second he yells at Allegra and quits his job and creates this big drama queen thing, which is also a lie, which makes him bad. And it makes it really hard to root for him because, again, he is basing all of this in this elaborate lie. Right. Um, But at that point, he's already stepped outside of his comfort zone. So that central conflict with Albert is already done. And as we all know, when the central narrative conflict is done, then your story is done. Right. Now it's just Albert's natural awkwardness, him, you know, falling in love with this woman alongside like Hitch's story. Um, so the story itself, 
like in both instances, even if you give it the generosity of looking at it as two parallel storylines, that's Albert's story and then it's Hitch's story. Um, I think all of that, the central narrative conflict is the basis upon which you put your structure. It's the basis of everything. And if your central narrative conflict is weak, and this is some seriously weak central narrative conflict mm-hmm. I uh, defining it as central narrative conflict I'm stretching so far to find the textual evidence for that but it's the only thing we've yeah. really got um, so yeah it's uh, they're both incredibly weak yeah it was it was so bad so I, I was trying to push my brain to figure out okay well mm-hmm. given this premise what would you do to fix this central narrative conflict um, which was especially challenging working with a story I don't like. Um, so I was like, okay, so we we would have to have some real, reasonable reason yes. for Hitch to need his coaching practice to stay secret. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that could be. Yes. But there would have to be some real reason for it to stay secret. And then Sarah would have to write about right. it. Right. Like, Excellent. Or, or want mm-hmm. to write about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then they would have a direct conflict. And that would be... Yes. One can't have the, you know, without the other. So once a, she gets the connection. story, then he, yes, exactly. Right. And then, like, within that, you would have this, maybe they are genuinely attracted to each other, caring about each other. How can he be sure that she's not using him for the story? And how can she be sure that he's not working the romance playbook whammy on her? Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think they would have some natural reason yes. for, you know, for caution with mm-hmm. each other. Um, it still seems like most of that could be fixed with honest conversations. But yes, let's if Sarah's boss was determined to run that hitch story, even if he assigned another writer mm-hmm. like Sarah is in this. She's a workaholic career badass. And now she has to choose between pursuing that story, giving it to another writer or messing up things with hitch. Mm-hmm. That could be more interesting. Yes. Um, but she would have to have vulnerability as a person because right now I don't care enough about her to care. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Hitch had been burned before, like not by some college girlfriend, right, you know, right, but right. someone mm-hmm. he really loved who betrayed his trust for her own gain in some way, mm-hmm. then he would have real reason to be wary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, of Sarah. Um, but they would each need real vulnerability to build that conflict if if their professional ethics or relate or responsibilities were real and in real conflict mm-hmm. that might work better right um having said that i don't want a, another you've got mail situation here where right. my bookstore is going to put your bookstore out of business but hey i ruined your entire professional life want to go to dinner like i don't want that right either. yeah so, no. i don't know exactly how to shape that that's the problem. Like, this is excellent work, by the way, Dr. Jones, um, of, of building a central narrative conflict. But you are coming across that problem when you have the two romantic leads in conflict with each other and not working together. You you lose on two levels. One, one of them has to lose. So that means we have to our protagonist has to lose. And in the case of You've Got Mail, the protagonist who had the thing that was of real value, the the bookstore that had been in her family that belonged to her mother that meant everything to her, that was everything she wanted. He destroys that. And so she loses um, what really mattered to her and he lies to her 
continually for months right Um, when he knows the truth and she doesn't um and then they're in love at the end and you're like that's supposed to be satisfying for me i mean at the same time i you've got mail is my go-to of a movie that i love to watch but that is terrible and it is Mm. terrible and i think the reason why i love to watch it is because of bookstores in new york city it's just it's honestly it speaks right to my heart and my soul yeah i'll watch it for the books i watch it for the books too you know um but yeah that's terrible so when you have uh the, the hero and the heroine in conflict um then uh then you've got a real problem um the one place where that actually worked is his girl friday his girl friday i've talked about in um in the house story works podcast you guys can go ahead and find that episode and go back and i i talk about this in much more detail but basically we have um hildy and walter in conflict uh, but we want hildy to lose because she wants what she wants isn't good for her she wants to marry bruce and go off and live a traditional life in albany but she is a journalist she is as she says a newspaper man right so we want Mm -hmm. her to it's actually for me when i watch his girl friday it's not about her getting walter it's about her having the job that she should have because she's better than any of those guys in the in the room you know um so in the end, when Hildy loses, you kind of want her to lose because she should be a journalist and that feels mm-hmm. good, right? So I think that you can do this with tweaking. Oh, the other the other reason why having people um, fighting each other or in, in that kind of conflict as your romantic leads is bad is because one of the best ways to establish a strong love story is to have two people who need to work together and that they work together well. It is not enough yeah. to be I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together. You have to have a couple that works together well and when you have them working together we see the harmony in them we see the way that they are right for each other and that works really really well toward developing the love story developing um developing that relationship like you look at sherlock and watson right yeah excellent that's one of the most powerful things i have ever learned from Mm -hmm. you is that you can see a strong love story in action if the two people work together well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've applied that to like my real life in oh, addition yeah. to, to story because mm-hmm. that is it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But it, this and and so for all of the I really hate this movie energy that I went into this with, I, I do appreciate anything that makes me think. Mm-hmm. And so like thinking about this central narrative conflict in a love story, I was like, all right, what do you do if it's a situation that can't be fixed? Mm-hmm. So um, I taught at a university for a long time. If I had fallen in love with one of my students, yeah, there, there's no fixing that. Right. There, it, it cannot, it can't, ha- there's no way to do that ethically. It's oh, a once no, they it graduate, matter. though, isn't it after that? I wouldn't do after, it, but yeah. I mean. But you, you, so you, your, your agreement has to be great. We'll, we'll have that date in three years when you right. finish your thesis. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter that even the age, you know, right. they could be older than me. They, it wouldn't matter. Like it just would be an absolute no. Mm-hmm. So I was like, can you tell a story like that? Mm. Like if, if the conflict is an absolute no go, can you work with that? And I, I don't know the answer, but I just it was it really made me think. That is interesting. I think the time span for something like that, because I mean, you can't work with it if eventually they're able to be together. Um, but that's mm-hmm. also your romantic conflict. And your romantic conflict is a little bit different from your central narrative conflict, because your central narrative conflict is about two people in in conflict who are, um, you know, who are like the the 
protagonist goal versus the antagonist goal, that kind of thing. Um, but a romantic conflict is why are the re- what are the reasons why we can't be together, right? And mm-hmm. um, this is why we fall so often to false conflict, right? Conflict that if people had a conversation, they would get past, right? So we have the classic, I saw you with a woman in the park, and it's his sister, but she sister. doesn't ask Ugh. him. So she just thinks it's him, you know? And actually, Friends did an episode that did a twist on that that was really funny, and that the sister and the brother were gross like affectionate with each other in a way that was really kind of oh, gross. God. Um, so that did a twist on that little misunderstanding, which I actually, from somebody who's, I've seen this so many times, like I appreciated that. But that's false conflict, right? Um, true romantic conflict is, uh, you know, a vampire in love with a, with a vampire slayer, right? You know, like these yeah. kinds of essential things that you have to find a way past. So um, also like separating out for people who write romances, separating out your romantic conflict from your central narrative conflict is very, very important because they are two different things. It's why can't they be together? And then there's protagonist goal, antagonist goal that you actually structure your story on. Um, so in this circumstance, if you had, I mean, what would be wonderful about that story? I think it would be bittersweet and it wouldn't end with a happily ever after is that you have these two people who are falling in love, but they cannot be together. They absolutely cannot, right? Not without crossing ethical lines that they are unwilling to Yeah, cross. I mean, it would be a hard no. But like, you have you them can't. working together on something. So that the, the mm-hmm. central narrative conflict is them working as a team to accomplish something and they win that. But in the end, they have to separate because they can't be around each other. Oh, right? so they're applying for grant funding and they go through all that <laughs> together and they get the grant. And why? See, we need, See, we that's need more academic romance. And I think, stories, that, I think that you right? should write that. You should absolutely write that's that. That's hilarious. But like, that's the that's the bittersweet ending that you get. You get this love story. And also there's there's a nice gift of the Magi kind of thing, too. Um, element that mm, you could always put mm-hmm. into something like this, like where the two of them are in conflict. We're t- you know back to Hitch and Sarah, um, where in the end. He's in he's struggling to preserve a business that he shouldn't be preserving because it's bad for him. She's struggling to keep up a job that she shouldn't be keeping up because it's bad for her. And in the end, if she gives up her job and then takes a low paying real journalism job that she's actually going to be happy with. And he gives up his thing and goes into, you know, a consulting business that he can actually be proud of. Then both of them, although they were fighting so hard to and this is one of the things, too, right? We fight so hard to keep the things that are damaging in our lives because they're familiar and they're safe, right? Mm, and if we have yeah. these reflective stories with the two of them, where actually the central narrative conflict is that they're fighting so hard for things they should not be fighting for either of them, and they both lose in the end. Um, but yeah. in but in reality, they both win because they end up taking different positions. And then once they're both in these positions, where she is a struggling journalist, she has to move out of her nice apartment, she has to give up things, right? He has to give give up things and he becomes a different kind of consultant, but somebody who's actually doing good, actually helping people. Um, then I think in the end, you have them both lose, which is which is possible. I mean, one it, for one to win, the other has to lose fine. But if they both lose in the end, you know, where she maybe she may or maybe she wins, she writes this story. You know, and she ends up winning that central narrative conflict and he, you know, he gives up his business or like she writes the story and instead of like sinking his business, it 
you know, makes his business even stronger. You know, like it makes more people are coming to him and he's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Like once he reads her article, he sees what he sees the reality of what he's done and like what he does. And, you know, like having that moment in there in the middle where he follows up with all these clients, he's just left at the third date and then realizes that none of them have had relationships. None of them have had Mm -hmm. anything last and why. And if he's going to these people and he's asking them, why didn't that work? And they're and they all say it was based in a lie. You know, it wasn't me like all of that kind of stuff. And that he's realizing as he's going through that, that this isn't fulfilling work for him. This doesn't feel good to him, that that she's realizing as she's going through that this doesn't feel good to her. Now, I like the idea that her boss is forcing her to write this article. Right. So this is the article that she needs to write. But it has to be her like she's been faltering already in this role right as the as the tabloid she hasn't been getting the great scoops anymore her heart's just not in it but she's not ready to give it up because especially if it if it if it deeply speaks to her identity what if she's liz smith what if she's like famous for this shit right you know Mm -hmm. and like this is what her entire life has been built on is being this person who doesn't care if you're famous you deserve it like that's her thing right um and then as they go through you know, this process and she realizes what she's been doing, you know, like maybe she writes the article and then she really hates that she did this. They're broken up because she's destroyed his business. Right. You know, and he's like, whatever. They take a little time away from each other. He starts something new. She starts something new and they bump into each other somewhere, you know, and then he does the exact opposite of all the advice that he gave in the beginning. Like he's nerdy and, and you know, and does like, like if we have him in the beginning giving all this advice about things you don't do, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do that. They meet again at the end. We have a little coda, right? And he does mm-hmm. all of the wrong things, like all in a list, right? You know, um, and then she would, you know, have some kind of response that would also show how she's grown throughout this process you know um and and so if you do that and you've got this as your central narrative conflict that's running this romance story and we see them both arc from who they were at the beginning to who they are at the end i think that could be satisfying and if we use the albert and allegra story running alongside it that this is the story that teaches that teaches hitch like maybe it's Albert and Allegra that he gets them together, but he's still connected with Albert because Sarah's writing this story about Albert and Allegra. So where Hitch mm-hmm. would ordinarily drop off, he stays on and sees it all fall apart because Albert, it was all based on a lie because we need Albert, first of all, in this to uh, confess everything to Allegra, to tell her the yeah. truth, to tell her that it was all a lie. You know, and then earn her trust back. And if Hitch is watching Albert be like, I'm done taking your fucking advice. Your advice is the reason why I'm here in the first place. And then sees Albert doing all of these things that he said, don't do, don't do, don't do. Right. Being vulnerable and all of this kind of stuff. Right. Um, That Albert is doing those things with Allegra because he genuinely in the time that they had together, like has genuinely in love with her you know, and wants what's best for her. And maybe what Albert's doing isn't actually to get her back. Maybe what Albert's doing is that in the process of that lie, he broke something in her life. And so he's trying to fix it without her knowing or something like that, you know, doing this thing for her again. I want her happy, even if it's not with me, because of you, I broke this thing for her or whatever it is that he broke. I'm going to fix it. 
and I need you to help me fix it because you owe me that. And then the two, and then you have Albert and Hitch working together, which develops mm-hmm. that friendship and that masculine relationship and that, you know, uh, masculine community, I think is wonderful. And love stories between men where nobody's getting gay panic. It's okay if they're gay, you know, also, but like a genuine yeah. love story, a genuine friendship love story is also wonderful. And those are great stories to tell. And for Hitch, who comes in as the coach to be the one who learns from Albert throughout this process, um, then I think I think you've got something that you can work with as a as a structure. I would watch that movie. I would watch that movie. I would totally watch that movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. God, you're so good at this. Yeah, yeah. but, but really it's, it's just it's a matter of like I've 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 been doing this for so long. This is how I learned mm-hmm. my story theory, you know, by looking at these things and how do they work? How do we make them work? And once and then, again, if you know your story theory, you can apply it to the story while preserving the things that you like. You know, I mean, we're we've got a pretty free flow here though because there wasn't much about Hitch that we actually liked. When there's a <laughs> when there's stuff that you like, it can be really difficult to like find the right central conflict that will actually like you know fix it without breaking some of the good stuff you know mm-hmm. um so you've got like riding that line um one of the one of the greatest exercises that i've done i do this in my class every semester is we watch smoky and the bandit right 1977 uh-huh. uh smoky and the Bandit got a lot of problems right but there are things that people love about it i don't particularly love those things but the, i appreciate the things that people love about it. i appreciate that this movie set out to do a particular thing and trying to fix the yeah. central narrative conflict without breaking that particular like silly wild raucous drive across the country kind of you know a silly adventure while preserving the silly adventure of it fixing the central narrative conflict is complicated because whenever you're you're talking about something that truly deeply matters to somebody in a comedic setting that can sometimes be difficult i think in a romantic comedy setting we're actually set up for that because we do want that deep emotional connection in these stories as much as these stories end up being these flat she's clumsy and he's an asshole you know kind of thing like those are our weaknesses and our strengths and our vulnerabilities you know um like that has anything to do with anything. Clumsiness is not a vulnerability. Fuck off. Um, so so it sometimes can be really, really difficult. I think with Hitch, because there's so little that we wanted to preserve, it's a little bit easier to pull it together. But I do yeah. I like this idea. I think you came up with a really good idea. Oh, I think you came up with a good idea here. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, I'm like, I would watch your movie. I would watch your version of that. Yeah. I think that that, that could be really, really interesting. So, yeah. But yeah, it was it was a really fun process. Um, and and it was interesting too, like in the the energy shift that I felt because when I watched this movie, I was fired up and pissed mm-hmm. off, like yeah. genuinely, like mm-hmm. this sucks. I hate it. Everything that's wrong with society is in this movie. And right. Fuck you and fuck you and fuck you too. Like it was just I was mm-hmm. furious. But in going through and really thinking about this is the premise. How do you fix it? Right. Which was was great for me because as a writer. I'll get to a certain point with a story idea and then decide that the premise sucks and it's useless and Mm -hmm. deserves to be set on fire and never looked at again. And so if the if the rule is keep the premise. Yeah. Fix everything else. That's also a really good path to finish a work. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Like keep the premise. Uh, I mean, you can tweak it, obviously. Keep the things you like. If you don't like the premise. then that's yeah, it. But, but keep what keep what's but good. Keep yeah. Something mm-hmm. like don't yeah. just throw it all away. And I'm right. like, if you can take this mm-hmm. 
movie and have all the ideas that that we've had to mm-hmm. fix it. Like it does give me a lot of hope for my own writing, oh, sure. which was not not something I expected to get out of that exercise. Um, <laughs> to get so, out of itch, right? <laughs> no, I really did not. I did not. I did not. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I would go dancing with Will Smith and Kevin James. Like, anytime oh, yeah. they oh, want to do that. That, mm-hmm. And I think they probably had a blast Oh, yeah. And filming. they're adorable. It's adorable. They're so cute. Like, there's a lot of really you know. cute things. You know, I mean, how to preserve the humor in it, I think you really need to go deep into character. Um, one of the things that yeah. we uh, that we would really need to do with um, with both Hitch and Sarah is talk again about that vulnerability, right? Because characters, well-built characters are strengths, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that with Sarah, you've got a really strong, if you redo this in the way that we're talking about, you've got a really strong, um, right now her vulnerability is that her sister almost drowned when she was eight and now she can't love. It's fucking stupid. Um, it makes no It's unbelievably sense. stupid. But if her vulnerability no is really about identity and about being ashamed, like, um, again, at vulnerability, the core of vulnerability, fear, identity, love, shame, right? Mm-hmm. And you can pull these in and, you know, you can use like something that hits one of them strongly. You can use something that hits a bunch of them. You know, that's fine. Um, but I think identity and shame for Sarah, like that she's doing this thing. It makes her a lot of money. It keeps her in a lifestyle that she likes. She gets to hang out with famous people, you know, and people are like, but that to keep doing it, she has to sell a little bit of her soul. And so her identity as this gossip columnist, you know, that that's, that's where her bread and butter is. That's who she's been for so long that if she doesn't write this article, she loses that identity. Um, and that her identity is at risk right now because she, she wants to write this article to preserve that job and to preserve that identity, but she also does not want to do that work anymore. Like that's a mm-hmm. huge, lovely internal conflict for her that can ride alongside this external central narrative conflict between her and Hitch. Um, so I really, really like that. Um, and for Hitch, you know, for him to have something that truly did, like truly was understandably traumatizing when it comes to, to love, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think that that, you know, give him a story, give him a background that actually explains why he's he's happy to do this for everybody else. But also that his understanding of love has this very shallow affect that it's all about just getting the date and and however you do it, the ends justify the means. Um, right. And it isn't until oh, later God. that he realizes. I just thought of something. Yeah. Okay. So he he gets you in the door. Yeah. Right. He's really good at that. Okay. So if what if in that friendship with albert who's like i don't understand what albert does for a living i think of the lego movie like business 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 Business, numbers i don't know something with finance okay so what if albert in like teaching hitch the value of the long game helps hitch apply his talent to coaching like people with startup ideas Uh into how to pitch Uh, their ideas to the investors and they team up and like I just want oh, that. that. I don't even care lovely. if they fall in love with anybody. That would be such a great I know, story. Be so sweet. I like that. Yeah, that'd be really that nice. That would be and really you can, cool. And you can have them work together. I also really loved what you pulled out about about Albert being about investment. You know, the he mm-hmm. like you have to be a person with patience to go into yeah. investments. You know, um, right. and hitting that a little stronger, I think, throughout and and thematically talking about Hitch is all short game. He does not invest yep. right? Um, right and it's because he's afraid and he's a coward and if Albert actually shows him the ways in which he's a coward 
you know, um, that's, I think, an interesting reflection back on Hitch, you know, for him. And Hitch, who's the good looking, suave, charming and Albert, who is not. And yet Albert being the one who actually has it together and gets the the love in the end through the right way. You know, I think that that Mm -hmm. could be really interesting, too. So and you give Hitch some real vulnerability there and that, you know, he was destroyed by love, you know. Um, and that it's one of those things where he's like, good for everybody else, not for me, you know, uh, so that mm-hmm. when he and Sarah meet, it's not that he's pursuing her like he pursues her because he knows she's after this story. And also, let's have that all up front on the table like this, this idea right. that they've got secrets from each other and they have to preserve the secrets or whatever. But if he's if he is romancing her in the beginning deliberately to get her to stop writing this article that he knows she's writing, if he pretends oh, to go along with yeah. her. And then that's, that's why good. he's romancing her. And then in that process, when he starts to actually have feelings for her, that's when that all falls apart, because now he's He's suddenly mm-hmm. vulnerable with her. Um, then I think that that's something that you could really work with. Yeah. Yeah. He. Oh, yeah. See, it can be saved. It can be. Anything can be saved. Anything be can saved. be saved. Well, anyway, I just like it because even if you think your idea is terrible, if you keep working with it yeah. and working with it and working with it. You and this is there. where the application of narrative theory of, of understanding these things can help you fix what's broken. But if something ain't broke, don't fix it. All right, Dr. Jones. <laughs> What do you love about this movie? <laughs> oh, God, it's such an unfair question. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I love Will Smith. Um, yeah, he, he is too. one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. And I end up appreciating him even in a movie that I really, 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 really don't like. A so. movie that does not utilize his charm or his uh, capabilities to their yeah. to their best use. Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. I love him too. I love Albert. I love Albert when he's genuinely confident. I love seeing him. He was genuinely sexy. And I'm telling you right now, anybody who's worried mm-hmm. about their looks or whatever, confidence is the sexiest thing you can possibly possess. So work on that. <laughs> work on your confidence because that is huge. All right, that wraps up our very first Fix It. That was fun. It was fun. I love doing these. It was fun. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Danrich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag HowStoryWorks. HowStoryWorks and everything Chipperish Media produces is made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to go paint that ceiling. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. And before I let Lonnie get in her to her next line, I'm going to interrupt her and ask her about some stunts that she has set up for oh, our yeah. chipperish patrons. We are. We're going to be having a, um, a Zoom with a goat. That is happening on May 17th <laughs> for patrons. It's goat. Yes, we're, we're calling it Goatchella. Um, so we're all going to hang out and uh, Chipperish hosts me, a goat, um, and patrons, up to 300 patrons. So if you are not currently a uh, patron of Chipperish but would like to be in on that goat meeting, then by all means do it. We hit our goal. So we are doing that on May 17th, Sunday, May 17th. So now's the time to do that. Uh, this episode of How Story Works was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producer who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why House Story Works is coming to you free and ad-free with goats right now. So thank you to our May producers, Abigail, Alice, Crimson Glass, Erica, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. And this week's special message for our power producers, when you're in the room, be in the room. 
Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you too can become a How Story Works producer. Other ways to show your support? Write a great review on Apple Podcast. Tell your friends about the show. Or if you gotta fail, fail with flair. We'll be back next time with our interview with actor and author Luke Arnold, whose new book, The Last Smile in Thunder City, is out now and I highly recommend it. Until then, when fixing something, the most important thing is preserving what a story intended to do and what it did well. Start with the positives and guard the positives. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs>